men book for her and book for you and me. You'll find good book for everyone at your library. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lauren's Library. I am your host, Ali Ali Oxenfree. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I'm your host, Lauren, and I am here to ramble about book stuff. So grab a seat, grab some coffee, grab a blanket, grab the steering wheel if you're driving, because I will not be paying for your accidents, and get comfortable, because we have a lot to talk about. And if you're new here, just wanted to say hi, hello, how are ya? Special hello to you guys. Thanks for popping in. Get comfortable. Gonna have some fun here. <laughs> On this week's episode of Lawrence Library, we have The Content Killer, Trope Trial, and a short story written by me called Gluten-Free Singles. Yep, you heard that right. Gluten-Free Singles. It's as ridiculous as it sounds, trust me. So take a second to gather yourself because we finna get into it. Okay, cool. Okay, so boom, I was on Twitter the other day, right? And I stumbled upon this story that immediately caught my attention. Let's get into it. A Utah widow and mother of three named Corey Darden Richens wrote a sweet children's book about grief. The book is called Are You With Me? And it was written to help children cope with the death of a loved one. The book had quite a few reviews on Amazon and all of them seemed quite positive. And she even appeared on a local TV station to promote it. According to the description of the book on Amazon, which has since been removed, it was created to reassure children that even though your loved one may not be physically present, their presence will always be with you as they walk through life, almost as if they were still here. In the 41-page book, the boy is questioning his father about whether or not he's there during the big moments. You know, like soccer games, birthdays, Christmas, holidays, whatever. And the father tells the boy in the book, yes, he is with him during those big moments. So she wrote it after the passing of her husband, who died on March 4th, 2022, as a way to help her babies cope with such a loss. Because, I mean, it's a very heavy loss. She even dedicated the book to him, calling him her amazing husband and father for children. When she went on the local Utah TV station to promote it, she talked about how his death was a shock and she wanted to do something for her children to help them through it. Sweet, right? Well, hang on to your butts, guys. Because on Monday, May 8th of 2023, a.k.a. this past Monday, Corey Darden Richards was arrested for the first-degree aggravated murder of her husband, Eric Richards, and was also charged with three counts of possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute. Let that sink in your cerebellum for a second and rotate. Let it marinate, okay? Because it's nuts. <laughs> the week prior... She had posted a collage of her husband and her kids on Facebook and wrote the caption that life has been so hard without him. The cards I have been dealt seems like a game that just can't be played. She even added the hashtag, please come home. And <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to y'all. I did kind of laugh at the humor in that, the morbid humor. Don't judge me, judge your mama. I couldn't help it. I mean, this is an Oscar winning performance here. 
And I bet her husband's ghost is somewhere punching the air right now, just watching her like blatantly lie about what happened. So anyway, he was arrested for his murder, right? And allegedly, she poisoned him by giving him a mixed drink called a Moscow Mule. I'm not a drinker, so I don't really know what that is, but I think it has vodka in it from what I read. So she gave him some vodka and some other stuff. And she served it to him in bed as a celebration on selling a home. When the police arrived later that night, around 3.20 a.m., they found him lying at the foot of the bed, cold and stiff as a board. Well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing on that last part, but he was at the foot of the bed, at least. Now, allegedly, Corey told the police that she left her phone in their bedroom and went to hang out in her children's bedroom while her husband sipped for his life. But the phone records show that she was using the phone in the children's room as well while poor hubby was taking his last drink. And the phone was locked and unlocked plenty of times during that time frame as well. And there were messages sent and received during, but a lot of those were deleted, of course. Autopsy report shows that Mr. Richens had fentanyl in his system, up to five times the lethal dose. So naturally, they snatched up old girl's phone and started going through that thing. They found some real suspicious communications between her and an acquaintance named C.L. agreeing to an exchange of drugs for money, a.k.a. a, a drug deal. It showed that this wasn't the first time that she tried to unalive her husband. Because on February 14th, 2022, like not even a month before, Eric complained that he wasn't feeling well. He became violently ill and he told a friend that he thought he had been poisoned and he was convinced that wifey had done it. But clearly she ain't do it right because he was still alive and kicking after that. So then again, on February 26th, when the first one didn't take, she contacted her dealer again and asked for more drugs of the Michael Jackson strength. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, the legendary singer died in 2009 after a lethal dose of propofol. So Miss Corey was really trying to take him out here. She was trying to send her husband on to glory, okay? So she received 15 to 30 fentanyl pills for $900. And then a few weeks later, Mr. Richens was dead. So that is the story. And naturally, I have some questions, okay? So let's get into these questions. First question. How much audacity does it take to kill your husband and then write a book to help your children cope with the grief that you caused? Because clearly Miss Ma'am has quite a bit of audacity. Enough to go around, honestly. And in a world where everything is considered content, she killed her husband and then decided to write a book about it. Because it's not enough that she got away with it. She had to let everyone else know she got away with it with her first-hand knowledge of grief and loss. I still can't wrap my head around how insane that is. Like, to be the reason for your child's pain and grief and then try to coax them through like you're just some amazing parent is just like that's, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable behavior. So after searching through Google, um, it seems as if her motive was insurance money, which is not surprising. One of the most common motives for women killing their husbands or vice versa is the insurance. And it turns out he removed her as a beneficiary of his life insurance policy and ultimately sealed his own fate. He signed his own death certificate, if you will. Because once Miss Richens found out, she was not having it, as you can see. And in my opinion, my humble opinion, if you are trying to remove your spouse from the life insurance policy, do that after you have already moved out and are on the other side of the country. Because... Nine times out of ten, when you remove them, they're going to kill you. That's usually what happens. Like, let this is not the first time that this kind of situation has happened. And it usually starts with they don't no longer have access to the insurance money. So, quick tip for you guys. 
Do it after you you move. That's the only way you're going to survive the situation. Like, let's be real here. <laughs> but anyway, my second question. If husband was suspicious of wifey poisoning him, why on Betty White's earth would he accept any kind of drink from her after that? And I'm not victim blaming, okay? But especially so soon. Like, I'm confused. Because if I suspect somebody of trying to poison me, best believe my spidey senses would be tingling from there on out and I'd be cooking my own meals, pouring my own drinks, and anything that you gave me that I didn't see you make, I'm asking you to take the first sip or bite out of precaution. And like I said, but I'm not blaming him. Because I mean, if you can't trust your spouse, then who can you trust? But still, I would be side-eyeing her forever after that. Like, you won't catch me slipping. You caught me slipping once, but you ain't finna catch me again. So that, I mean, that just confuses, like... February 14th is the first time, supposedly. And then February 26th? And then you die in March? Like, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm not accepting any drinks from you for at least five years after that. I don't know. That's just me, clearly. My third question is, how do y'all keep finding these unnamed acquaintances? That's the one thing that I'd be so confused about during, like, these situations where somebody poisons somebody else. It's always them contacting an unnamed acquaintance or they they contacted an acquaintance that gave them the drugs and i'd be in, in my in my mind i'd be wondering to myself how do y'all have all these unnamed acquaintances that have drug inventory at their disposal and i mean i'm i'm not dumb i know drug deals are a thing but me personally i wouldn't even know how to begin to initiate this process like i said it's almost always person contacts someone for drugs and then I'm just wondering like how did you find the contact like how did you find the initial contact like is it a Craigslist ad you sending out a, an email blast like a post on Facebook marketplace do you do you just go outside and yell I would like to buy drugs please and whoever materializes next to you gets the deal first is there like a mating call for drug dealers? Like, how do y'all find these people? I'm so curious. How do y'all do this? How? Please, someone, someone please tell me. Because I... <laughs> I'm so out of the loop. I don't be knowing. I don't know. The description of the book says their presence will be with you as they walk through life with you as if they were still here. Ma'am, need I point out, he would still be here physically walking through life with them had you not decided to pump him full of fentanyl. And they say to make the best out of every situation, but does that count when you're the one that made it worse in the first place? I feel so bad for her kids though. Cause they'll need one book to cope with the grief and then another book to cope with the parent in prison. This entire story would make a fire book though. Like, let's just be honest, let's be real. This would make a fire plot of a book. And I got first dibs if Frida McFadden don't snatch it first. I've said it once, I will say it again. I will scream it from the rooftops. The book community is wild. Some of y'all out here doing the absolute most. And I just be wondering, like, why is that? I kind of want somebody to study it. Like, is it the fact that we read fiction? So then we can't separate the fact that, you know, can't separate reality from fiction? Like, it, what is it? Because some of y'all be out here doing some real questionable things. I don't know. <laughs> but that brings me to my next topic that I wanted to touch on real quick. Um, it's called trope trial. So take a quick break, grab your drink of water, and then report back here for the next discussion. I'll give you a few seconds.
Okay, so I saw this idea on Book Talks. I mean, what else is new? And I wanted to take a quick swing at it myself. It was an idea called Book Jail that talked about all of the book plots that deserve jail time. I read the list and then afterwards I had to go find the nearest altar and pray. And once I was done praying, I sent the screenshots to my friends so I could ruin their day as well because that's just the kind of person I am. But I mean, I won't get into the nitty gritty of what y'all out here reading. At least not on this episode. Maybe if I can find a therapist to come up here and talk with me about how unhinged some of that violently sexual material is. But I won't, like I said, I won't talk about it on this episode. Just know that I see you and I'm judging you. Albeit silently, but I'm judging you. We absolutely do kink shame around here, okay? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. If the darkest of dark romances is your thing, then do you, boo. Just protect your mental health. Because constantly reading gruesome and violent, depraved stuff without anything to break it up can't be the best for your noggin health. And I mean, to be quite honest, I am impressed because to read about someone getting their meat stick sawed off and then just putting the book down and going to play with the kids like nothing happened, is a level of skill and concentration that I do not possess. Because if I were to read something like that, I, I would at least need to sit and stare at the wall for about an hour afterwards. But y'all just be moving on, moseying through life like you didn't just read some violent mess. And to be able to compartmentalize like that, that is a skill. That is a skill that should be taught in a class because, wow. <laughs> but anyway, I was looking at this and it made me want to explore which type of book tropes should be put on trial to serve jail time. Now, before you bite my head off, it's purely my opinion. If this is what you like to read, then again, good for you. I love that for you. No judgment here. I just might pick on you a little bit, but I mean, it's all in fun. Read what you want in Lauren's library, okay? So I was thinking I might turn this into a series just so I'm not droning on and on in one episode about which tropes I think deserve a trial because I mean, we'll be here for a while if I do that. So I'll just do one this time. And then depending on how y'all feel about it, I might try another one. We'll see. Possibilities are endless. <laughs> so the first one I wanted to do was the barely legal trope. And if you aren't familiar with that trope, it's when one person in the relationship is a fully grown adult, think someone in their late 20s, 30s, and up, whatever. And then the other is still a teenager, like 17 to 19. I'm gonna be real with y'all. I have concerns when an older adult wants to date someone that's barely even 18. For example, that book, it was called The Confidence of Wildflowers. I think it's by Michaela Smeltzer. Or I think that's what her last name is. I'm really not entirely sure. But I know the book is called The Confidence of Wildflower. And I read that book without reading the description because I like to take a walk on the wild side every now and then. That's as far as I go, though. And the cover is absolutely gorgeous. It's still one of the most beautiful covers I have seen to this day. And it makes me sad because the actual story is a six-pack of dookie. It's a complete letdown. Like, how are you going to have such a gorgeous cover and then the story be so trash? But let me get to the reasons why I think it's trash. Okay, I have receipts. Well, not really. I have proof. So, like I said, the writing was absolute, just, ugh, like, horrendous. But, I mean, the girlies swore that it made them cry. Like, every other group that I was in that, like, reads books, they talk about this little series, because it's two books. They talk about this all the time, about how it shattered them. And, and it, like, they loved it. And it was amazing, amazeballs. And I'm just... I kept reading, waiting to be shattered. I was not shattered. I remained whole. <laughs> and I mean, the majority of the time that I'm reading it, I was more so concerned with the fact that this man is 30 
and she just turned 18. No one seemed to bet an eye that she kept slinking over to his house in all like weird hours of the day and night. No, no one cared. And what concerned me even more about that, because I mean, there are some parents that are just like, oh, you're 18, you're grown. I get that. But what concerned me the most is the fact that they briefly mentioned that the girl was sexually abused by her father in the beginning of the book, and then it was never brought up again. So you mean to tell me that this girl has a history of sexual abuse by an older man, and is sniffing around an older man, and no one is concerned. Like, no one feels the need to, like, sit down and have a conversation with her, like, hey, are you taking care of yourself? Are you, like, aware of the issues with it? Like, nothing? Like, no one thought, hmm, maybe this isn't the best idea for her. Maybe I should talk to her. Like, make it make sense. Am I being too logical here or too judgmental? Maybe it's just weird to me because I grew up with a strict mother. So if I even sneezed too hard in the direction of a grown man, she would materialize next to me and then watch the situation like a hawk. And I know not everyone has that relationship with their parents. So, okay, I get that. But still, though, they're like, there's no nosy neighbors, nothing. I mean... The only one that had a problem with it was the girl's appropriately aged boyfriend. And they treated him like the villain half the time. Like they was just mad at him for being like, uh, wait a minute. Why is a grown man trying to talk to this barely adult child? Like if you can't even drink, like if you are not old enough to drink, how, what do you, what do y'all talk about? Because I'm about to be 30 in two weeks and Anyone under the age of 25 just seems like a 12 year old to me. And I feel like we have nothing in common. Like, what do y'all talk about? What are you discussing? You can't really do that much together. Like you can't take her to a bar. You can't take her to like most clubs you can't get into. Like what, what do y'all do? Where do you go? What do you say? Am I alone in this? <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. I don't know. First though, don't get me wrong. I don't care about age gaps. I don't give a flying fadoodle about an age gap. If you want to date somebody that is like 17 years older than you, fine. But only when y'all are both adults. That's my thing. Because it's just like the level of maturity there. Like the power imbalance. It's just, it's not cute. And then plus, these are grown men or grown women. However, whatever. I know there are other books out there with the barely legal trope. I'm sure there's a lot of them. It's a very popular trope. I don't know of any of them, to be quite honest with you, because it's not my thing. I accidentally stumbled into the confidence of wildflowers because like I said, I've, I've read it without reading the description, which is dumb because had I just looked at the top of the cover <laughs> where it said, I'm 18, he's 31, I would have known right then, but I didn't even see that. I was so distracted by the pretty flowers that I didn't even see that. I barely saw the title of the book. So that's, that's my bad. That's my bad, but. We have a story written by, you guessed it, me. It's called Gluten-Free Singles. <laughs> and I wrote it because back during my undergrad, I took a public speaking class. And one of the speeches I gave was on the horrors of online dating. I got an A in that. Thank you very much. And fast forward like 10 years later, and I was trying to find something to write about that could be funny with like a little twist. And then I remembered the speech. So I decided to look up the most ridiculous dating sites, like Farmers Only, for example. And I Googled and gluten-free singles came up. I don't know if the website is still out there, but it was one at one point. Plus, my aunt is gluten-free, so I thought that was amusing. So this is what I created. Let's get into it.
The sharp ping of my phone notifying me echoed in the quiet bathroom. I dried my hands on the front of my jeans and grabbed my phone out of my back pocket. You have one new match. It was a Tinder notification. Excitedly, I opened the app to see who had matched with me. A picture of a gorgeous brunette with pearly white teeth and unnaturally green eyes smiled back at me from my phone screen. Her name was Isabella, and she was way out of my league, but I'm sure she couldn't tell from my photos. Each picture I had posted was expertly handpicked to let the ladies know that even though I was on Tinder, I was not desperate, and I wouldn't hook up with just anyone. She had to be beautiful, okay? She had to be smart. She had to be as close to perfect as humanly possible because I do have standards. My profile picture was of me standing next to a Rolls Royce. I had seen it parked in the lot of the mall when I was walking in to start my shift, and I wanted to take a picture with it so I could show it to my mom later. Ended up being the perfect profile picture. I had uploaded two more, one of me at the beach and the other in the game room at my brother's house. My three pictures showed that I had good taste, liked to travel, and had a playful side. I scrolled through her pictures just to make sure that she wasn't a catfish. And I mean, everything looked consistent, so I just needed to find the perfect message to get the ball rolling. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, let's have sex inside my car. Perfect. A quick joke just to make her laugh. My car was in the shop indefinitely, since I haven't been able to save up the money to fix it, but I'm sure my brother would let me use his. Or maybe we could use hers to go on our date. She looked like the type to have one of those funny looking cars, like a Prius or a Volkswagen. It probably had one of those fruity air fresheners and a fuzzy steering wheel cover. I hated those things. I'd have to take it off when I drove it around, but that was no big deal. I could work with that. I looked down at my phone, seeing the gray bubbles pop up in the message thread, indicating that she was typing a response. I prayed that it was positive. WTF, gross, I'd rather die, she responded. Clearly, my joke didn't land. As I thought of something to say in her response, the screen refreshed and our conversation completely disappeared. I stared at my phone in shock. Are you serious? That whore unmatched me. I swallowed back the sting of rejection and shoved my phone back in my pocket. She wasn't all that cute anyway. Didn't even matter. A 15 minute break was up and I had to get back on the floor. It was my turn to make sure we had enough meat for the tacos. Nah, man, you wasting your time on Tinder. The girls up there are mid. What you need to do is sign up for gluten-free singles. I had been looking down at the register, counting the cash to close when he spoke, but at the mention of the website name, my head snapped up to look at Darius dead in the face. You lying, bro. Ain't no website called gluten-free singles. I rolled my eyes at him and went back to counting. Darius pulled out his phone and showed it to me. If I'm lying, I'm dying, bro. Women up here bad AF. I scrolled through some of the profiles showing on the front of the page. He was right. Gorgeous women of all types smiled back at me. One woman in particular caught my eye almost immediately. She was beautiful. Brown skin, kind eyes, and fluffy natural hair that looked soft to the touch. I couldn't help but imagine what it would feel like when I ran my hands through it. Or when it was on my chest when we laid together in bed. I blinked to erase the images from my mind before I got too carried away. You not gluten free though. Neither am I. What was the point of being on the website when it didn't even apply to you? Darius shrugged and made a face. Bro, just lie about it. Same way you lying about driving Rolls Royce. He cackled at my expense. I shook my head, but I didn't respond. I got sick of the joke sometimes. I never said I drove the Rolls Royce. I just liked the picture, so I put it up there. It's not my fault if someone saw it and assumed it was my car. They shouldn't make assumptions. 
I didn't want to seem like I was thirsty, so I slid his phone back to him and finished closing the register for the night. I would worry about making a profile when I got home later. Darius agreed to drop me off since we had worked the closing shift together. As much as he got on my nerves, Darius felt more like a brother than my actual brother did. We did everything together. No matter what crazy idea one of us cooked up, we were always down to ride for each other. When Darius started hooking up with our co-worker Shamika, I was more than supportive. Even after he'd gotten her pregnant and then promptly dumped her, I still stood by my boy. I couldn't lie. I did feel bad for her, though. Because after they broke up, she got so stressed seeing him flirting with all the other girls at work that she threw hot taco meat grease on him. He has a burn scar across his chest and on his neck from it. She was fired immediately and then arrested. Their child was sent to live with Shamika's mom because Darius didn't make enough money to support him. He conveniently forgets he has a child whenever it suits him, which is trash. But, I mean, what am, what am I going to do? That's my boy. By the time I made it home, my grandparents were already asleep. They usually fell asleep around 6.30 p.m., so I would have the house pretty much to myself on my nights off. I used to sneak girls over to my room, but that ended one night after I got caught with Shamika's sister, Tamika. My grandma turned on the lights on, in my room, and there we were, butterball naked. She claimed she had heard a noise and was concerned. I didn't mean to moan so loud, but I mean, Tamika was clearly trying to steal my soul. I was just trying to stay alive. Since then, I make sure to only go over to the girl's house or apartment. I pulled out my phone and typed in glutenfreesingles.com in the web browser. The website pulled up almost immediately. After making a quick profile and uploading the same pictures from Tinder, I settled into my bed to begin swiping right on girls I, I liked until I fell asleep. Almost immediately, my phone pinged with a match. It was that same gorgeous girl I had seen when Darius showed me the website. I smiled to myself and typed out a quick message. Girl, I would eat you like a dingo going out of meat pie. She responded almost immediately. Um, what? If I was a make-a-wish kid, my last wish would be for you to sit on my face. In the back of my mind, I realized that my messages were coming off a little creepy, but I figured she probably could tell I was joking. It was a compliment. I mean, I'm, I'm a nice guy, and I would never hurt or disrespect anyone. Common sense should tell her that I'm just flirting. I watched as the bubbles popped up on the screen, hoping she wouldn't unmatch me like that ugly female from Tinder. You ever had your butthole licked by a fat chick in a trench coat? I sat up straight in the bed and looked at my phone in shock. Of all the things I'd expected her to respond with or even hope she would respond with, that was not it at all. I scratched my head, completely lost on how to even respond to that message. Do I keep flirting? Do I say something serious? Do I make a joke? My forehead beaded with sweat. I don't want to ruin things with this girl, but I was also a little scared. Um, hi, I'm Kevin. I'm Dion. I breathed a sigh of relief. She must have been joking with that message. I will give her credit. It did catch me off guard for a second, but points for originality. I settled back into the bed and started typing. I was determined to go on a date with this girl, even if she was a little weird. The weird ones were always the best ones in the bedroom, from my experience. We ended up texting most of the night, and before I fell asleep, I had finally worked up the courage to ask her out on a date. She agreed to meet with me at the nearby restaurant the next day. I made sure they had a gluten-free menu, and they were within walking distance from my house. I didn't want to be too far away from home, just in case the date didn't go well. I was off work today, so after texting Darius to tell him what happened with Dion, I helped my grandma with her yard work until it was time to get ready. I was 15 minutes early on purpose. I wanted to get in and get a table before she noticed that I didn't have a car. She had asked me about the Rolls Royce in the picture, but I didn't have the heart to tell her that it wasn't actually mine. 
She seemed so excited about it in the messages. I made a mental note to text my brother to ask if he would let me use his game room this weekend. Had to be prepared to score. Just in case. I just scarfed down my third dinner roll when she walked in. I didn't have a lot of money to spend, so I wanted to make sure I was already halfway full before we started eating. That way, I wouldn't have to order as much, and I wouldn't look like I was broke. Dion spotted me at the table and gave me a quick wave. She was just as beautiful in person as she was in her pictures, with an emerald silk dress hugging her curves perfectly. Her curls cascaded around her shoulders in tight ringlets. My stomach jumped in my throat. Hey, Kevin. She flashed her beautiful teeth at me and took a seat. I stared at her, too stunned to speak. When her smile faltered a little at my lack of response, I pinched myself under the table to snap out of it. Hi, I'm I'm Kevin. I responded and immediately regretted. She literally used my name when she greeted me, and here I was telling it to her like she didn't know it. I mentally slapped myself, preparing for the worst. Instead of berating me or making fun of me, she actually laughed and touched my hand. Electric shocks coursed through my body under her touch. Her skin was cold and clammy against mine. It took a second to gather myself, but when I finally did, Everything went smoothly. I almost ordered a burger on a regular bun, forgetting that I was supposed to be gluten-free, but instead I ordered a gluten-free personal pizza. I was so happy I had eaten the dinner rolls because the pizza tasted like cardboard with tomato sauce. Who in their right mind would eat this mess? So what made you decide to become gluten-free? I asked. It makes your flesh taste better, she responded nonchalantly. I choked on my water, completely caught off guard with her answer. She smiled as I spluttered and coughed. I could tell she got some kind of enjoyment out of saying things for the shock factor. She liked catching people off guard, it looked like. I cleared my throat, trying to regain my composure. So you want to taste me, huh? I asked, trying my hardest to sound like I was turned on by her comment and not mildly creeped out. I had to shift in my seat uncomfortably. She was pretty, but kind of weird. Your lips are so soft. She reached out and touched my bottom lip with her thumb. I resisted the urge to close my eyes and melt under her touch. It was definitely getting laid tonight. Finally, after what felt like a decade-long dry spell. You like them? I asked. I could tell it was weird. Weird was hot. I do. When you fall asleep, after we have sex tonight, I'm going to steal them from you. Her eyes sparkled with mixtures. My brain canceled out everything after have sex tonight, like it was doing a math problem. Subtract the clothes multiply the orgasms, and add in a round or two. She was really into me, and I was suddenly no longer interested in this cardboard pizza in front of me. No longer cared about the fact that she kept making comments that seemed a little off. You want to get out of here? I asked, hoping with everything in me that she would say yes. A devilish grin appeared across her lips. It wasn't so horny, it'd be kind of creepy. The smile didn't quite reach her eyes. I thought you'd never ask. Her house was dark. But she moved around like a bat, clearly able to see perfectly fine without the need of a lamp or a light fixture. I strained my ears trying to figure out where she was in that moment. My disaster level horniness had just waned enough for my apprehension to settle in. I really didn't know this girl, but here I was in her house with no way home. I have to pull out all the stops in the bedroom in order to secure my place to sleep for the night. It's a long drive from the restaurant, so it would be a miserable walk home. I didn't have money for an Uber. I spent my last on that terrible pizza. Maybe in the morning I can make her some breakfast. It's the least I could do. Her hand slid up my arm and I jumped under the coldness of her touch. This woman was freezing. She had somehow gotten colder between here and the restaurant, even though it was hot out. I felt like I was being touched by a corpse. Is that what happens when you don't eat gluten? Come, she whispered in my ear. 
All thoughts vanished as I allowed her to lead me, still in the dark, to what I assumed was her bedroom. I instinctively put my hands out in front of me, trying to feel for something I could use to guide my path, but no use. My hands came up empty. Were we in a hallway? Where are the doors? She stopped walking suddenly and leaned against my chest. Her breath smelled vaguely like tomato paste. I was momentarily glad for the darkness because I'm sure I was making a face at the smell. Do you trust me? She asked, her voice low and sexy. It sent tingles through my body, making me want to ravage her right there. But I had to keep my cool. I do. I tried to use the same sexy whisper she was using, but it came out crackly and hoarse like I hadn't had any water for 40 days and 40 nights. I cleared my throat, hoping she wouldn't notice, and I felt her stiffen against me. You shouldn't. My brain was so foggy with all the blood rushing to the hairy canary in my pants that what she said almost didn't register. Words bounced around in my skull, knocking into my jumbled thoughts an increasing amount of confusion. Wait, what? I asked, just as I felt a sharp prick in my neck. I reached up to swat at the bug and quickly realized that I hadn't been stung by a bug. It was a needle. I said, you shouldn't. All traces of sexy in her voice evaporated. What was left sounded eerily close to a supervillain of some kind. I stumbled backwards, breathing suddenly felt hard. My head started to swim. Everything felt like it was closing in around me. I don't want to die here in the dark, where no one would find me. I felt around frantically, trying to find a light switch of some kind. If I could see where I was, maybe I could get out of here. As if reading my mind, she leaned forward and flicked on the light. My blood turned to ice in my veins. In front of me stood a shelf lined with jars. Each jar held what looked like a body part floating in liquid. Through the blurry spots of my vision, I could see two hands, two feet, and something that resembled a pair of ears. Each jar had a small piece of tape on the front and names. There were names on all of them. Jamal, Grady, Jaden, and an empty jar set next to them with a name tag that read Kevin. I felt like I was suddenly trapped inside a horror movie. None of this made sense. She had man parts in her bedroom? In jars? Like a creepy science teacher? I wished desperately for this to be some kind of nightmare that I could wake up from. I concentrated, hoping I would convince myself to wake up and be in my bed. I tried to swallow, but my throat felt like it was full of socks. I couldn't breathe. My legs gave way and I sank to the floor in a heap. My body felt like it had been filled with lead. I wanted to run or at least give myself a fighting chance, but my body wouldn't move. Whatever she had injected me with left me frozen in one spot. The girl dribbled down my shirt and puddled into my lap. This will only hurt for a second, I heard Dion's voice, but it felt like it was underwater. I was sinking further into the darkness. I couldn't respond. One thing out of my mouth sounded like a wounded animal as I tried desperately to form words. None came. One year later. I sat in front of my computer and logged into my newest profile on gluten-free singles. The name read Danielle Summers. I always kept the initials the same, but I would change my name every time I made a profile. This website is so stupid to me. A whole website dedicated to people with dietary restrictions? Like being gluten-free was their entire personality instead of just a piece? But it's been one of my most successful sites since I had been released. I had been trying to do better, but the quest to find the perfect man sometimes made me a little crazy. And at the end of the day, I wanted, no, I deserved to be loved. Every man I've dated had good qualities for the most part, but none matched completely. One day, I was watching TV and a Build-A-Bear workshop commercial came on. And I wondered, why couldn't I just do the same with my man? If I couldn't find the perfect man, I just have to build one. So that's what I did. I logged into my dating profile with new resolve. 
Jamal was the first one I had matched with. He had really strong hands. He had touched me in ways that no one else had been able to, but his body odor was insufferable. Being around him made me want to gag. It felt like I had been stuck in a dirty sock full of liverwurst. He honestly smelled better dead. Never thought I'd say that about anyone. I met Grady maybe six months after I had preserved those beautiful hands from otherwise stinky Jamal. Grady was a jerk. He ridiculed my clothes and the choice to wear my hair natural. I barely met up to dinner with him and that lousy performance he called sex, but then I noticed his feet. They were perfect. Manicured to perfection, no dry skin, no funky toenails. You rarely see feet like that on a man. He tried to ghost me after we slept together. I caught him putting on his shoes in the middle of the night, trying to walk out before I woke up. So I saw his feet. Jaden was much easier than the first two. He was an addict and didn't really have much concern for his own well-being. He let me do whatever I wanted to him in the hopes that he would get his money for his next fix. Put him out of his misery and took the only thing from him that had been ravaged by disease and addiction. His ears. And then there was Kevin. I smiled at the thought of him. He was a complete cornball and so easily flustered by an attractive woman, but he had beautiful lips. His profile had been full of lies, claiming to drive a Rolls Royce and have a game room in his house. I was more straightforward with him than I had been with anyone else, and he didn't even notice. He was so enthralled with the idea of being able to sleep with me that he completely missed all the signs that I basically handed to him. Taking his lips had been more difficult than I would anticipated, trying to extract them, but I still kept the shape. It took a while, but I got it. Since then, I'd been a bit of a dry spell, but that's okay. I am patient. I'm playing the long game here. I clicked on the first message thread waiting for me. What up, Danielle? I'm Darius. You look like the type of naughty girl I need. You single? I rolled my eyes at his message. Unoriginal. Darius, I doubt you can handle me, I responded. I clicked on his profile to get a better look at him. The more I swiped, the more interesting he became. I can work with this. He's attractive, aside from that ugly burn scar on his neck and chest. I wonder where that came from. I'd have to ask him about it during our date. I clicked back over to our message to see that he'd already responded. He must have been waiting with the phone in his hand. Is that right? Yes, but I'll make an exception because you have really pretty eyes. They're perfect. Thank you. We can arrange it so you can see him up close. Would you like that? I chuckled to myself and glanced back at the jars behind me. I had space for another one. Darius, you have no idea. What do you think, guys? Let me know. Head on over to my blog at www.thebookiebabe.com and poke around a little bit, you know? Read some stuff. Write some stuff. Make sure you rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're using. You can follow, like, or leave a message at Lawrence Library Podcast on Instagram. You can also find me posting detailed reviews on thebookiebabe underscore Instagram and TikTok. But bear with me, okay? Your girl is still new on TikTok and all the transitions and the sounds and all that other stuff. It still kind of gives me whiplash, but I'm trying. Anyway, I said all that to say, if you want to say hello, there are multiple ways to contact me. Take your pick. But one way or another, I will talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys.